Everybody. Hi. My name is Cass. I'm Alex. And this month we are talking about Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex First Gig, uh, directed by Kenji Kamiyama and produced by Production IG. Uh, Alex. What does IG stand for? Uh, I guess. No, I have no idea what <laughs> stands for. Um, it's good. Yeah, it, it's good. Uh... Oh, yes. The letters I and G derive from the names of the company founders, Produ- producer M- M- Mitsuhisa Ishikawa and character designer Ta- Takeyuki Goto. Oh, there we go. You were, you were asking me something. What was, what was it? Uh, what do you think about this show? I had a nice time. Yeah. It was like, like it, it had a, it, to me at least, it had a, uh, and I'm wondering if you feel the same way, but with a different, uh, valence to me, like I got a similar kind of not mouthfeel. What's the, what's, what's the equivalent of mouthfeel for anime brain feel. Anyway, I got a similar feel to the show noir, uh, heavy, I, on, the, yeah. heavy on the vibes, not the, the overarching plot is not super important. A few good episodic, like self-contained pieces, um, but nothing, nothing kind of groundbreaking. Yeah, I thought the show was fully okay. Like I hated it for a while when I was watching it, and then um, I stopped trying so hard to pay attention and to make it make sense. And- <laughs> And was able to just sort of, like, sit on my couch and enjoy it for a while. And, like, I didn't have a great time. And it's still a frustrating show because it's, like, the last episode kind of pissed me off because, like, they make a bunch of references to, like, Baudrillard and Frederick Jameson and shit. And it's like, the show wasn't about any of that stuff. You're just trying to save face and make me like your show now by referencing Frederick Jameson. It's not going to work, you piece. <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> um, yeah, that that yeah that that uh, library scene was very silly. Uh, it's like, yeah, and and like, I I feel like I would have enjoyed the show a lot more if I had just so like the way that the show is structured is that it's it's like twenty six or twenty five episodes long, the season, 26. and it's split into two kinds of episodes there's the standalone episodes and there's complex episodes and the standalone episodes um they uh stand alone they're they're episodic and they don't connect to anything and the complex episodes tie into this overarching plot about like the this this super villain hacker called the laughing man um and i feel like i probably would have enjoyed it if i just watched the complex episodes and mm-hmm. hadn't watched the standalone episodes um you know because most of the standalone episodes are not good um 
There um, are yeah, a um, couple that are kind of good. Um, yeah, I was gonna say like, I yeah, I feel like it. Yeah, it has the Utena problem of, uh, like too many side stories. But on the other hand, like my the episodes I liked the most were standalone episodes. The in like for individual. Like the time when I was most into the show was during that like final run of complex episodes. Mm. That was when I was I enjoyed the show the most. Um, was during that final run of stuff. But the prior to that, I wound up enjoying some of the standalone episodes more than I enjoyed any of the complex episodes. But yeah, we should talk about what the show is about because it reveals the show's most glaring flaw at the the heart of it, which is that this is a show about cops. <laughs> like that is it is a fundamental flaw that the premise of ghost in the shell cannot escape which is that a cyberpunk f- cyberpunk fiction about cops is bad i i mean i i yeah i mean i would i would i would argue not i would i would depend i would argue that that's not constitutionally bad but like almost invariably yeah. hap- like like very few pieces of media at least like i kept i kept heavily at least heavily funded well-produced pieces of media because obviously of the moneyed interest involved like well-financed media very rarely is seriously critical of the police yeah and it's it's what i what i i kept waiting for like the other shoe to drop and for them to be like the cops suck actually you know, or like to yeah. like, to, or like, make the characters in any way grapple with the fact that they're all fucking psychopaths who do awful shit the entire time, and it never does. Like they're just like the the reveal at the end is actually the police are based, and it's like, <laughs> like it's well, it's, I mean, like yeah, like it's it's it's, it's yeah, it's very funny because it's it's like it. There's there's this sort of um, conflict between different branches of the government at the end when... Uh, yeah, and like, it's like, actually, it, the cops are great, and the government trying to rein in the authority of the cops is bad, which is <laughs> insane! That's an insane take! And, it, and, like, I was comparing... Like, you can compare it to, like, other cyberpunk stuff that, like, like, it, like in Blade Runner, like, Deckard isn't a cop, but he's cop-adjacent. And, like, that movie is all about, like, Deckard doing a bunch of awful shit and gradually coming to realize that, like, the the androids that he's killing and that he's sent out to decommission are human and that, yeah. or, like, are, like, like that he's, he's been told that these things are subhuman, that they're less than human, that they, they shouldn't be considered people and that actually that's wrong, right. you know? And, like... This, this sh- oh god okay so i actually I, I should make a kind of a, a clarification to i mean earlier i was saying that like heavily moneyed like media is by its nature rarely going to be critical of police but like i think that's more true in america and west and like western media uh, i'm but, waiting for, i was waiting for you to bring it up um what was i gonna bring up oh the that fucking swedish show you like Oh, it's one. It's Danish, and two. I wasn't gonna bring that okay, up. Okay, all the same. Uh, but and also like it, it's, I mean, we earlier and 
maybe the second episode of the podcast did the ghost in the shell film yeah uh, and that was a much looser adaptation of the manga it's substantially and, better for that and well. yeah which is which, yeah and, beca- and because like ultimately this is a pretty a pretty close adaptation as far as i know of the manga so what i said before about it like this was a pretty heavily produced show but the original manga like i don't know how big of a like author he was coming in so like he was like for all i know he was a relatively unknown mangaka who decided to write a manga that was highly uncritical of police and so but i mean like it, even if it, you're like akira toriyama like starting a white dragon ball after god what was the thing that toriyama wrote before dragon ball uh it was oh fuck, i forget the name of it but like even if you're that like it's not like you're gonna get a huge budget it's just right. manga so yeah so so in this case the fact that it is uh highly uncritical of the police actually has very little to do with it yeah. it's financing <laughs> so yeah. um but yeah, so so this so if you if you've never seen anything related to Ghost in the Shell before, it follows uh, a a special ops group in the in the the sort of police department. They're sort of like FBI spec ops. Like they do, they they're like they're like a, they're extra they're an extra judicial like yeah like death squad basically. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not exactly extrajudicial. Like they do arrest people and send them to trial during oh, this true. show. You know, so, like, they're not, like, they don't go around, like, in explicitly assassinating people, but they're, like, they're, like, if the FBI had a SEAL Team 6, basically, and yeah. was in Japan. Um, <laughs> and, and they're called Public Security Section 9. Um, so, yeah, so, the the show, the main plot of the show revolves around this kidnapping incident that happened six years earlier. Um, where this dude tried to kidnap the president of a pharmaceutical company, um, and like on the street with a gun. And even though there were a bunch of cameras on him, nobody could uh, identify his face because he was such a good hacker that he hacked everybody's vision and he hacked everybody's, all the cameras and everything to cover his face with this like logo that has a quote from the catcher in the rye on it <laughs> yeah. uh yeah and so it, it's a, it's this logo of like a, a smiling dude wearing a hat and then in, in a circle around it it says i thought what i'd do is i'd become one of the i'd pretend i was one of those deaf mutes um and th- they they reference catcher a lot in this show and it does not go anywhere. <laughs> um, like it's, it it's, is a completely meaningless reference. It's a very weird thing. Uh, do, do you remember the context of that particular quote? No, I don't remember. And I left my copy of... I was going to try to find it, but I left my copy of Catcher in Connecticut. Ah, um, shit. So I have no memory of, of that context. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's like... there's Because like, Catcher is a book about is a whole to lose innocence and fret about that but instead what they do is they take the opportunity to just quote it a bunch and then have the laughing man call people phonies because like if you're if you've read catcher you're like haha i i I know that yeah i feel like i'm trying to find in my if there's anything in my notes i feel like there was some 
there was some point of connection um, involving like the laughing man turns out to be a young man who um, like, I forget if he or if it's like a member of his family or someone has this medical condition called cyberbrain sclerosis. Yeah. Uh, and there's kind of a, a race to develop treatments for it. Uh, yeah. And one of the treatments, the Mirai vaccine, uh, is basically denied approval by the FDA equivalent for entirely political reasons. This is uh, the thing that 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 drove me insane because this entire plot doesn't make any sense. And like they so like they explicitly compare this whole thing to the AIDS epidemic, but it doesn't track because the reason why drugs like antiretroviral drugs like AZT were delayed in the FDA had nothing to do because like they and they go back and forth between like the profit motive like oh it's like better it's more profitable for these companies to like use their own treatments that other which is like is not like it's such a common trope in like conspiratorial thinking about pharmaceutical companies and it's not to my knowledge ever happened um like that specific kind of thing because it really just doesn't make if you think about it for more than two seconds it just doesn't make sense in terms of like uh and then like the guy from the fda like is like oh the like the laughing man confronts him at one point and is like oh you refuse to do this because of your own pride because you wanted your treatment to work and not mine which again is it's just such a weak justification um like as far like it 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 when you compare it to like the the actual justifications that like you know Reagan and and his administration had for ignoring the AIDS epidemic which is that they didn't see the deaths of gay people as a problem they didn't see the deaths of intravenous drug users as a problem they saw that as as killing two birds with one stone we didn't have to spend money on curing this disease and a bunch of people we already hate are dead you know and there's just like none and that's a problem throughout this entire show is that none of these people have a coherent politics because it becomes very clear that its authors don't understand why people believe or do anything. I mean, I don't remember like the the president, his rationale, but there were those other members of like the medical board uh, who had like vested financial interest in the company developing the alternative treatment. Yes, so and like, that's plausible enough. It's it's like it sounds plausible if you're predisposed to conspiratorial thinking, but as far as I can tell, it's never actually happened in in real life. Really? Yeah, like it's something that people always bring up when people talk about like you know cancer treatments or whatever. It's like oh they have the cure for cancer, but they're not they're not because it's like it, it's better for their bottom line to like not cure it and to treat it, you know, or whatever. And it's like it just in well, that... the real world, it just doesn't work out that way. Like. It just, like it just doesn't shake out in terms well, of like that actually being beneficial because it's it's the same problem as same as the problem with every single conspiracy, which is that how many people do you have to keep quiet in order to keep this thing like 
under wraps like how many people have to be involved in this in order for nobody to say anything and and, and, and simultaneously have the conspiracy be discoverable by just like some 17 year old browsing the internet like that was the thing that that drove me up the fucking wall i mean yeah i mean the whole super hacker thing is is a separate thing but in this case it was less like suppressing any cure and it is it, it was more like there were these two competing treatments and yeah, I, yeah. it's much more plausible to reject one being like oh the other one is like superior and etc cetera, etc cetera. and so it's not quite as like outlandish but it's super outlandish like that sort of thing doesn't like it's it's this sort of like like it's it's the same kind of conspiratorial thinking that leads people to think that climate change isn't real. Like it's it's like this sort of it's this sort of like and it's like because you're writing like a cyberpunk conspiracy thriller, you have to have some sort of like ridiculous conspiracy and it just like I never bought it. I never bought <laughs> that any of these people would do any of these things or that they would succeed at doing any of these things. Like I can believe somebody trying to do that cuz like we have medical grifters in real life who you know push uh unsuccessful or un or or treatments that don't work but they're always in a space where they're competing with actually effective treatments and they're doing that like it i just i found the motivations of these characters like yeah just, i mean just the- unbelievable in terms of like how they would actually manage to get everybody to go along with them yeah you know? i mean the closest the closest real world equivalent i can think of was how it came out recently that kind of one of like a paper on Alzheimer's treatment that was published like 16 years ago and sort of set the like set the course of like where money went in terms of Alzheimer's research ever since was fraudulent. Oh yeah, uh, I mean that sort it, of thing happens all the time. And it took until until now uh, to figure it out. So like and the motivation was just like even like almost almost worse than like naked financial greed it was just like academic greed (laughs) wanting to be like um and so i what i found was what i found unbelievable was that there was this whole conspiracy that the entire industry was benefiting from and that there wasn't because like if there is this group of people who are developing this this alternative treatment that doesn't work there's also some other group of people who develop the vaccine and they are also going to have a vested interest in getting the vaccine to people like there is there's not like you it it was a smaller lab wasn't it It was just like mirai and whoever else they're positing and like that is also ludicrous from a medical perspective. Like, like the idea that, like, oh, just, like, some random guy who, like, in this tiny lab developed this vaccine. Like, that's not how any of this works. Um, you know, like, it, it's just sort of, like, I am, I am not, like, there's tons of medical fraud and there's tons of companies who are pushing ineffective treatments for all sorts of things. Um, and there's tons of scientific fraud that that's going on for any number of reasons, but this just didn't pass the smell test in terms of like the actual complexity of these sorts of situations in real life. It was this very sort of like dumbed down, like TV kind of version of it where it was like, Oh, a bunch of people are greedy. And this one guy and a bunch of people are greedy or they're too prideful to like admit that they were wrong or admit that there's a better option out there or whatever. Like, 
And like that's just it's just like it's way too simple. It's way too it's way too stupid. <laughs> um yeah. you know, and, uh, like but like it ties into like like the fact that like this it it's very uninterested in the politics of prosthesis or medical enhancements and stuff like that it mostly just thinks that they're cool like one of the things that drove me up the wall about this show was that they have like every fucking cyberpunk series that deals with body modifications has to have some kind of like anti-body modification group you know who are going around and like they're never characterized in a way that makes any sense at all like they're never like they don't understand that people because like in this in this it's like the the human liberation front or something like oh, that right and they like it's just like it's just this lack of understanding that like people who have extreme beliefs ha- have them for reasons they're not just like evil people who believe insane things you know and like these people are in in this in this show they're not just like a protest group they're terrorists you know and it's like terrorists want stuff that makes sense and they do stuff that makes sense to get it but the show is so uninterested in why anybody would want uh to and why anybody would object to you know the the to prosthetics or to to cyberization or anything like that like because like um you know and there are real downsides like this is a show where the the police have constructed like an infinite surveillance network using fucking everyone's eyeballs and people who are like hey maybe that's not for me are portrayed as insane like which is bonkers like that's such a a rich vein to investigate like this show is so interested in surveillance and it like it plays a role in just like every single plot in the show is the fact that the that section nine has access to this surveillance apparatus that allows them to basically find out any information about anyone anywhere in japan you know like and it's just never interrogated you know like what it reminds me of is like the bit in the dark night where batman has like taps everybody's cell phone in new york city in order to find the joker um but even the dark knight realized oh, that's bad, and had a bit after that where they destroyed it because they realized that it was too powerful for anybody to have access to. Like, and Ghost in the Shell doesn't even do that. Like, it doesn't interrogate that aspect at all. It doesn't touch that in any way, shape, or form. It's just, it's just like a superpower the cops have because it's cool to be able to, like, go zoom, enhance, oh, we got the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's another kind of major blind spot of it of like the of what you know, the like, show like one is of the, one of the most in. infuriating episodes to me was the one there's one standalone episode that really focuses on like the the human liberation front or whatever the fuck they're called mm. and they focus on this girl who was like the daughter of some like tech company and she'd mm. been kidnapped and now she's like leading the the human liberation front you know and um she yeah and like that episode it's one it's like 99 percent like stupid gun porn surveillance cop shit like it's it's it doesn't focus on it like we never get their perspective we never see any of those people and when we do when we do catch them they either don't say anything or they just act like petulant children you know, like they're just there's no investigation into why these people, you know, why did she change her mind? Was she just mad about getting used as a guinea pig? Because that's like, again, it's like 
I understand why a writer would use that as a character motivation, but it's a shitty character motivation and it doesn't say anything about the world or about the people in it or about the politics, you know? Like, it's just like, oh, all of these people are just, all of these people who are doing bad things are doing bad things because they're just, like, red, mad, and nude. (laughs) Like, it's, like, people, it's completely uninterested in, like, structural motivations or anything like that. Like, it's, it's, it pisses me off. You know, and then, like, in one, of, in, like, the first or second episode, like, there's, like, a dude who, like, died and put his brain in, like, a robot that he designed and goes to kill his parents. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, like, he, uh, and, like, he's, like, so mad at them because, like, he died because their religious beliefs kept him from getting cyberized. And it's like, dude, you're an adult. What the fuck are you talking? Like, that was, that was the number one thing was, like, you have a job designing military robots. You can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> like why why are you why do you give a shit about what your parents think but even furthermore it's like that's how this show sees anybody who is skeptical of technology or is skeptical of the benefits of technology or is skeptical of a a technological apparatus that allows for mass surveillance is that they're just like religious loons or terrorists you know like that's that's how all these people are characterized it's um yeah like i like i the yeah, as much as it kind of the the episode two where that that guy puts his brain in a tank, as much as the kind of the premise was contrived, like uh like the the ver- the very, very end was I thought kind of well done. Like it, it's like because it turns out like they are chasing him on his way to the parents and then uh like the parents come out of the house. He lifts his like robot arm cannon towards them. Uh, the major like finally pops open his like tank and and short circuits his his cyber brain. Uh, and then, but she realizes that at the end he may have just been kind of like sh- showing his parents, like, look, I got a cool body. I got a cool robot body now yeah and, and not it, try like, to kill them after it all drive that it's like it's it's an example of how the show is like entertaining in the moment to moment because the action is fun and like it's good at like constructing like tense or poignant or you know like whatever like emotionally effective moments but they don't add up to anything because it's like that's like this is the second episode and we see the major do something rashly that is horrible and just like murder somebody for no reason essentially and she well, she had i mean she had reason to think she had, it was oh, oh yeah she had, yeah she had reason to <laughs> I'm think not, i'm not know? saying it was justified yeah you know uh oh officer i thought he was pulling a gun um like she murders somebody and like and like it's never grappled with like this this this, she does shit like this every character in this fucking show does shit like this all the time and every single time it shoots like this like poignant moment like oh i have such great power and like they never deal with it or grow you know like like the the one moment where you see somebody like exercise restraint is like when batol uh, is like chasing down that guy. There's like a this is oh yeah bonkers that's... episode where like this dude who was like he like went uh, in like a military operation. He was like an American soldier that went on like a military operation into South America, and like the gov- like the U.S. government like 
brainwashed soldiers into like murdering people in villages and then he's like permanently brainwashed and so then he like and turns back into society becomes a serial killer who like pulls people's skin off um and like and then like yeah the one the one realistic thing about the show is how evil the cia is yes (laughs) uh yeah that yeah um you know and it's like yeah it it uh it it it's very it's a very accurate depiction of of uh the united states government um and they yeah the, and and like bateau is like chasing this guy and they like put him on the case like comes up like the the americans put him on the case specifically because they thought they thought he would get so mad about it yeah that, because he because he was there at this in this uh during the yeah. same at the same time as this operation in and saw yeah. um it happening that he was going to kill him and then yeah. Bato uh, like exercises restraint, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I, I exercise restraint. Did you see how good a cop I am?" <laughs> and it's like, "Shut up, dude! I hate that guy." Um, yeah, and he's, he's only good when he's giving natural oil to the Tachikoma. Yeah, the Tachikomas are really, really good. So, like, there are some characters in this that are like sentient tanks. Uh, and they they walk around and they're called Tachikomas and they're they're cute and like there's a, there's a whole sort of like subplot throughout much of the show about like them like sort of gra- gradually developing a consciousness that is I find it frustrating as a person who thinks that artificial intelligence is stupid um, <laughs> but it's a it's a sort of cute and interesting like it's it's they're, they're cute characters and I enjoy them. But the show's like philosophical positions are like like they they're like oh because like they're really intent on like this notion that the Tachikoma cannot die because they they can they can only be disassembled you know and like unlike people who have ghosts in them that can die you know the Tachikoma don't have a ghost so they they can't die which doesn't follow like <laughs> it's it's like. Like, they take this for granted, and they ask, they're, like, asking these questions about, like, what is it like to, like, know that you're going to be able to die, and, like, they're asking this stuff like that, and it's never interrogated, like, until, like, the very, very end, and it's not really interrogated, but, like, they're, like, what is the distinction between you guys being disassembled and, like, incinerated, and you dying? Like, what is the distinction there? Uh, And then at the end, at the end, a bunch of them do die, um, and it's, like... It, there's like a bunch of like hand waving uh about like the the major being like oh i i i should have checked to see if they were developing a ghost you know and now they're all dead and it's like i thought you said they couldn't die yeah i had i had been like for most of the show i've been assuming that like they couldn't die because like their whatever their brain state was was being like not only synced between each other but but presumably being backed up somewhere and so yeah for a while my my assumption was like well yeah they can't die because they have there's no like single point of failure uh if you blow up a tachikoma that's just like one node of this of this like system that is is their little their sort of weird little intelligence uh but that's apparently not the case because um they die later well it's actually i mean yeah i actually watched a few of the second gig episodes okay and 
at least three of them come back are come they back. They don't all die. In Some the of them die. Gig. Yeah, but but yeah, there there are like I think five or six in the beginning. So um yeah, it does seem like some of them do beef it. And what that means is, yeah, I'm no longer clear on. Yeah, one of the best, like, standalone episodes uh, is this one. It's a very strange episode. It's the one where, where one of the Tachikomas, like, just, like, wakes up and, like, goes and helps a girl search for her lost <laughs> dog. And then they find, and then, like... Like, the second half of that episode is this completely unrelated subplot where, like, he, the Tachikoma, like, found a brain in, like, a like a, a store and was like, oh, cool, and then brought it home, and then they went into the brain, and then they found out there inside the brain is a movie theater where you can watch this dude's, like, perfect masterpiece, and there's a bunch of people, like, trapped in there because they, all they want to do is watch this movie over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably the best episode. It's a really good episode. I don't... It's definitely, like, I don't understand how the two halves connect, but both halves are pretty good. Um, you know, like, the, the first half contains this sort of, like, meditation on, like, the notion of loss and the notion of, of like, uh, of, like, what it means to lose something and why, why to be sad to lose something. Um, you know, and, like, the notion of, like, valuing things and people. Um, uh, and then the second half is, like, what if there was a movie so good you'd watch it forever? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Like I forget if, yeah, my notes on, on there aren't very, aren't very thorough. I did just write experience machine. <laughs> um, Except but, like the only experience that you can have is watching this movie. <laughs> but it's a really good movie. It's a good experience. Uh, and, yeah, so so one of yeah, one of the engineer one of like the random techs, lab techs goes in and doesn't come out and so uh Motoko the major is like, Alright, I'm going in and then uh Yeah, she goes in, finds the movie theater, experiences her first ever emotion yeah. <laughs> and, and walks out again. Yeah. Uh, I forget the details of her conversation with the with the director. Yeah, but yeah, I, th I I mean I think I also wrote Experience Machine because I, I like I'd have to rewatch it, but I I have a vague recollection that she she makes something about how oh well no matter how good it is it's not real, which is like an Experience Machine talking point. Yeah. Um, and and that probably and and I, one way in which that ties to the kind of uh, to the Tachikoma's Grand Day Out bit is that, like, the Tachikoma also kind of experiences its first emotion, uh, like when it's visiting the, it's when it's it meets that girl and visits her dog's grave, like, uh, it learns about grief and it cries little oily tears, uh, and possibly kind of one of the points of juxtaposing these two is that like uh even if it's sad it's better to experience the the ups and downs of reality rather than to flee into uh every anime has to be at least partly about that yeah, yeah. every anime has to be at least partly about how you should stop watching anime and go outside <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Like there is with the laughing man stuff. So like in the early in early on, there's like a couple of like attacks from the laughing man, uh, and then there's like there's a whole like red herring conspiracy bit where like they try to like assassinate some like important politician or something like that, and then like the guy who is doing it, like, gets killed by another guy who's part of the conspiracy. And then it turns out that none of these guys are related to the original Laughing Man at all, and it was just a red herring. Um, you know, <laughs> which, which episode is, is that? That's, like, I don't remember what episode it is, but it's the one where, like, it's one of the very early ones oh, where okay. they're, like... And, like, this is what I mean when I'm, like, if, if, I, if it had just been... If I just watched the complex episodes... Like, that red herring would have been effective, but by the time that you find out that it's a red herring, it's like, you've, it's like 12, it's like 12 episodes later. Like, and like, you just, like, there's so much shit has happened in between there that has yeah. nothing to do with the plot that you're just completely, you've completely forgotten this thing that you thought was true, you know? Right, 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 right. Um, you know, and then there's like a middle bit where, uh, Tolga, uh who's like the sort of he's like this he's like the lame normie of section (laughs) nine he doesn't have like a he doesn't have a prosthetic body unlike bato and the major he's the wife guy yeah he's the wife guy um and he uh he like infiltrates this facility that um there's there's he i forget like why they go there but there's there's like some sort of like hacking activity coming out of there out of this medical facility and so he gets a job there as a caretaker and he finds out that it's for people i forget what they call it uh it's for people who have like some sort of cyber brain problem where they 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 get it's actually it's for it's a it's a home for the terminally online is what it is (laughs) it's for people who like become so obsessed with the internet and with computers that they disconnect from reality and they hang out there and they they use the phrase and this is a phrase they use not just in that episode but also later on for some reason which is the phrase is cyber brain autistic mode Oh, right. And I, it blows me away. I was not paying close enough attention to catch what Japanese word they used, but I, like, it's like, it, yeah, it sub- blew me away. It, it destroyed <laughs> me hearing that. Yeah, like, near the end, I remember it being used in some context about, like, there, there's, like, a bunch of, like, military guys, and they're like, activate cyber brain autistic mode. <laughs> Like, straight up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's bananas. It's truly, um, but yeah, so he, so he, yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he infiltrates this medical facility and like, he finds that there's like basically a bunch of kids. There's like a bunch of like teenagers in there mostly who are all terminally online um and he so they just used him to like to like do cadding basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> like they have them all like they have them all like hooked up to a server for, it's like it's a weird medical it's like a care home for like autistic kids where they use all of their special interests to do work it's really messed up <laughs> it's it's but yeah it's out of it's it's yeah they just like they use all their like obsessive hyper focus like hacking ability to like to like write security software 
Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, and and like the the way they were introduced to this is incredible. Where like he walks in and they walk into like this computer lab and there's this very upset looking kid uh, hunkered down under a desk <laughs> oh, and he keeps saying, right. "It's my online day." <laughs> It's my day to go online. It's my day to go online. <laughs> and it's God, like it's oh. the same, buddy. I, I hate it when it's my day to go online. <laughs> oh jeez, yeah. Oh. And then, um, yeah, he 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 he's assigned to this room of yeah of of of, of delinquents. Um, yeah, there's who, like kids of like sort of varying communicative ability in there. Like there's a girl who like paints stuff but doesn't really talk and there's a kid who's like basically pretty like typically talkative in there and then he there's like a kid who like doesn't move or anything like that. He just like holds a like a baseball glove and this is like this is another catch on the right reference. Um you know and like he's just like sitting there and he's holding he's holding this left-handed baseball glove. Uh and that kid it turns out, like, this is where the show ties into the I thought I thought what I'd do is I'd pretend I was one of those deaf mutes thing, mm-hmm. because that's what he's doing, is that the Laughing Man is in this facility pretending to be a kid in cyber brain autistic mode uh, right. in order to, like, get the heat off of him. But, because, yeah. like, uh, Tolga, like, goes to, like, a, like a, a phone closet or something like that, to, like, hook up to the net, and he finds out, and he find he looks in there, and he finds that there's something, there's, like, some other device hooked up to, hooked up to the wires in, like, a non-standard way, and he's like, oh, somebody else has been in here before me, and then he looks at, like, the, the, do- the inside of the door, and written there, like, portal style is, I thought what I'd do is I'd become one of those, de- I pretend I was one of those deaf mutes, and he's or, like, or, or will I? Or will I? Um. Yeah, like it's um. Yeah, and then like that. Oh again, yeah, that's like that, that's where I that's that's the connection I remember. But I th- I think he's like when he has a conversation with the pharmaceutical president right at the end. I think he also talks about how that was kind of like at first he wasn't sure if like once he once he realized like how shit the world is whether he just wanted to kind of turn away from it and like disconnect completely or or do cyber activism which was and engage with the world which is what he ended up doing and but what were you saying um yeah uh it's like it's another thing where it's like again like it's sort of it's an interesting plot twist in this main plot but it's separated from like the early stuff by like six episodes and it's separated from the later stuff by like six episodes the the pacing is bad so it's just like it's just it's so strange like they could have just made this a 13 episode series and it would have been a lot tighter um you know whereas like because it's such a sh- i assume that it's like it's like this because it's such a straight adaptation of the manga and that's sort of obviously a common thing that manga does it'll because it's serialized it'll like sort of go on a little diversions and little yeah side plots and stuff like that and it'll eventually circle back to the, and it's to the easy main it's plot. easier to kind of flip back and, and try and remember where where things left off um, yeah um, but as an adaptational decision, you know, like when you're adapting something into a TV show or whatever, like it can be very beneficial to make the choice to cut that stuff down. And yeah, yeah, like what I realized, like I was sort of hoping that I would really like this show because I wanted to redeem myself for not liking or not at the time enjoying the 1995 movie, oh. <laughs> which now I really, really like. And like I, I have, I have absolutely come around to that movie as being really great. Um, and like I think what this show has, has, if anything, shown me is like 
that that show i think something that i said in that was that like it felt like there wasn't enough space to explore all of the ideas or like there that, that like in a single movie like there was so much going on and then what the show has shown me is that no there actually wasn't anything else going on they actually they cut it down to the good parts and then they made that into the movie and there was no need for anything else um you know and like they they focus on on so much of that you know and on top of that like the movie is just like it's it's gorgeous and amazing and brilliantly directed and this show is like it's not the ugliest thing i've ever seen it definitely like when i started watching it's much more it, functional when i when i saw screenshots of it i avoided i sort of avoided watching it or wanting to watch it for the show because when i saw screenshots of it i thought it looked really ugly and then when i started watching it, i realized it looked it looked better in motion than it did in screenshots and then after watching like half of the show i actually have a note uh i forget uh I, in episode 11 was i have a note where i wrote i've decided this show actually looks like shit <laughs> uh, that was also the the tfw it's your online day and cyber brain autistic mode episode that was when i decided that the show actually looks like shit um, <laughs> you know it, it's definitely it's very like it's uh it's from an era where like television anime was adopting digital effects and you know 3d graphics and stuff like that and it it looks better than a lot of recent anime in terms of the way that the 3d graphics are integrated yeah they, um, they are much more they're much more conservative about how they do it yeah and like it's it's also just uh it's but it just it just suffers so much in comparison to the 1995 movie which is obviously just like such a landmark in terms of of animation that and, like yeah, you're just like, you're just doomed if you're right. trying if you're if you're making I mean, something that's going to be compared to that yeah like like 80s 80s 90s there's so much money yeah uh, yeah, like, so much, and like and also like it's so much easier to justify a big budget on a, a movie and it's also so much easier to like if you're making like the ghost in the shell movie is like what like 80 90 minutes long right you know? that, that like that it's too, so that much easier to produce 90 minutes of animation at that quality versus right like, Part of, yeah an entire that, tv show yeah yeah I, I remember i remember when we watched uh the Atena movie after yeah. the show, like that was only came out a couple of years after, but it looks unbelievable. It's so, yeah, like, it looks so, so good. And like the original Utena show doesn't look bad. Exactly. Um, but like they, yeah, but, but the they kind of jump, like, yeah. they folk, they, they were able to kind of like make that short film. Like, like, yeah, I, 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 I was, it's a good point you brought up the, about movies because, yeah, the examples I was thinking of, like Ghost in the Shell movie, Utena, Akira, are all movies. Yeah. Obviously, like, you like, can do the same thing with Like, you have the same TV. thing with, like, End of Ava versus the show. And what the, yeah. what End of like, End of Ava is gorgeous. And, like, what it manages to do is that, like, like with Utena, like, the main thing that makes the show look so good is, like, the brilliant art direction and, like, the fact that, like, everybody working on that show had such a brilliant sort of, like, visual sense for yeah. composing images and for character design and stuff like that, that it doesn't really matter if some of it looks kind of cheap. You know, whereas, um, and then the movie, like, combines, like, Anno and, like, everybody at Gainax's, like, brilliant visual sensibilities with the budget of, and, 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 like, resolution of a high, of, like, a high-budget movie. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, this show is just, it's, it's a lot less imaginative in terms of, like, visually imaginative in terms of what stuff looks like. You know, like, there's, like, the, the original Ghost in the Shell 
movie is like so visually iconic and like i was struggling when i was like watching this show like taking screenshots and stuff like that like oftentimes when i'm taking screenshots and stuff like that i'm not just taking screenshots of dialogue or shots or whatever that i i think are important that i want to remember i need to take screenshots because i need a a thumbnail for Mm -hmm. the uh for the podcast and it's like it's one of this is definitely one of the shows that I that I watch where it's like I struggled so much with like identifying any shots that would look good out of context. <laughs> like that would look that would like any whereas like a lot of shows, you know, or some shows that we watch, like I can pretty easily like capture like, oh, here's here's a shot that like the they were clearly like thinking like, oh, this is gonna be really, really impressive yeah. or whatever. And it's like you know, like like um at the beginning of the of the Ghost in the Show movie there's this, like, super iconic moment where the Major, like, does, like, a nude backflip off of the top of the building. And <laughs> yeah. none of that, sh- no shit like that ever happens in the show. And yeah. it's like, why? That's so dope. Why wouldn't you do that? If you had a character who canonically could do that shit, why wouldn't you be doing it all the time? <laughs> yeah, they, let's see, I have one reasonably, like, not really representative, but, like, a reasonably nice composed screenshot of the gender swapped Karl Marx. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of thumbnails that might be useful, that we can, but we should talk about gender swapped Karl Marx, shouldn't we? Who is gender swapped Karl Marx? Uh, <laughs> so let's see, which episode is that? It's number fourteen. So let's see. Yeah. So the the fourteen is the one. Based on my so notes, we, that's the one where the Tachikomas start becoming intelligent and they read, uh, they read, uh, anti-Oedipus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, 11 was the Catcher in the Rye stuff, um, 12 was the Tachikoma's Grand Day Out, 13 was the Human Liberation Front, the oil rig that makes you old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, yeah, 14 is... Um, but one of my notes for episode 14 is Lamau, they're reading anti-Oedipus and talking about bodies without organs to try to get in my good graces again. Nice try, buddy. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is uh, both when the Tachikomas are, start getting too smart for their own good and when um, the gender swap Karl Marx arrives to kill the hermit wizard of wall street uh hermit was i have no memory of this <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> my my only notes from this show are e-money uh, because yeah there's some what then the hermit wizard of wall street in all caps uh, and then comrade tachikoma <laughs> um so yeah, there's this there's this mathematician who's like kind of disappeared from society after making a shit ton of money. I'm reading the plot synopsis on Wikipedia, and I have no memory of any of this. All I remember is the Tachikomas reading like flowers for Algernon and freaking out. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't remember like the details of like the this attempted heist but i do remember that like yeah uh, the major uh infiltrates and gets into a fight with this uh communist oh, no, assassin the, Tachik- the tachikoma thing is in episode 15 okay then why do why do i have comrade tachikoma oh i think they were i think they yeah, i think they must have said something uh after hearing about the about karl marx um 
because yeah the 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 tachikoma are far more politically astute than uh any of the other people in section nine. Oh yeah uh tachikoma is based <laughs> and yeah so uh the major yeah fights uh this this communist lady and then like fights her to a standstill and they they discovered that the the shitty old rich dude either already died or got killed oh uh i think he i think he just like died earlier uh and then like left an ai running to to do his horrible day trading uh so like yeah there are a lot of episodes like that where <laughs> it just like it's it the like the heist or the mystery or the whatever it sort of just like falls apart by the end and it's like it uh, and episodes like that remind me of some episodes of cowboy bebop yeah you know yeah you know like uh there was that one where there was like the the like super old chess grandmaster uh, oh yeah you know like that's that sort of thing um and like some of so, but like you know, one of the problems is the show doesn't look as good as Cowboy Bebop. The characters aren't as likable as Cowboy Bebop, and the show doesn't have like as clear a political conscience as Cowboy Bebop. You know, there's there's also like uh, I'm looking through looking through my notes again. Like later on, they're talking about because like the 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 guy is called the Laughing Man, and this is like one of the other like catcher connections or not catcher but like salinger connections is that it's, it's named after a, Sal- a jd salinger short story and there's a bit where tolga is like you know not, there's a shortage of people who point at the similarity between the salinger story and the crime and it's like yeah because fucking nobody has read anything that salinger wrote that isn't catcher <laughs> you think people are going out here reading raise high the roof beam carpenters what are you talking about <laughs> my yeah my <laughs> uh is is uh the next episode the one where they the tachikomas become too smart for their own good okay because yeah my i my little header for that episode is the robots are horny <laughs> and i have no idea why i decided that was a was a appropriate summary yeah like that episode was it was funny in the sense that i like the tachikomas as characters but it was sort of frustrating in that like um sci-fi writer like my my the note that i wrote was sci-fi writers hear things like ai might think differently very think very differently to humans i think it means stuff like tachikoma don't understand the concept of labor and not robots cannot think or speak like humans uh, <laughs> you know like 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 one the, the one of the only like pieces of fiction that has ever like gotten this right is the game universal paper clips which was designed by it's a clicker game designed by frank lance um where you make a you play as an AI, and your goal is to make paper clips, uh, and you have to make as many paper clips as possible. And it escalates wildly until you are like devouring all of the matter in the universe and converting it into paper clips. <laughs> um, you know, and like that because it's like, like that is what people mean when they say stuff like computers can't think like humans. Is that like they're not really thinking? They don't have goals they don't have beliefs they don't have values they just do what you tell them to do yeah um you know and it's like you know like ultimately like the question of machine consciousness or machines as burgeoning consciousness is not that interesting like what makes something like blade runner really interesting is that like blade runner is not actually concerned about whether or not 
robots have consciousness. Blade Runner's concern is with real-world people who are thought of as subhuman um, and who are thought of as disposable. And it uses robots as a metaphor for that concept. But, like, the important question is not, like, do, oh, are these androids actually people? The important question is, like, who in real life are we comfortable with being disposable? Who in real life are we, you know, metaphorically sending Harrison Ford to go murder? You know, like, and like this, like, this is like, this show is a lot less interested in that and a lot more interested in like robots that like are very worried about whether or not they have consciousness. (laughs) Yeah. The next episode is the sad boxers. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was fine. Yeah. That was highly forgettable. Highly forgettable. The one after that is is basically a, uh, the Inside Man, the twenty two thousand six uh, thriller starring um, Denzel Washington and Clive Owen. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the plot summary for this, and I have I have no idea what this. Oh no, this one. Okay, yeah, this the is the Wine Moffat. Fund. The Wine Fund. This is like so. Like for a very long time, I've maintained so like. Years ago, in like 2014, I think the New Yorker did an article about the the world of of wine fraud or wine forgery. I think it was in New York. It might have been the New York Times, um, but it was all about like basically the fact that uh, even professionals cannot tell the difference between rare vintages of wine and a bottle of wine that's like half of a rare vintage and half a common vintage right. and so there's like a a scourge or there was i don't know this thing this may, things may have changed but there was like a scourge of people like buying like you know a half or a quarter of a bottle of a rare vintage and then filling it up with uh, a more recent vintage that's that's less rare and then being like here you know like it's the rare vintage um and i've I've long maintained that if i were going to get into crime that's the crime that i would do because if you're stupid enough to spend a lot of money on wine you deserve to be robbed pretty much um yeah yeah there's like a whole like they're investing in wine because wine goes up in value because like rarer vintages obviously there's always like a decreasing quantity of an older vintage and so it will always increase in value um, now, this was made in 2003 before we learned the dangers of investments that people said would always increase in value. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but anyway, you should, you should watch The Inside Man. It's it's a really fun movie. Um, that's, all my, that's all I have to say on episode 17. Yeah, and then there's another guy... Um, the, the next episode is like it, it it's it touches on some political aspects in the sense that like it's about like uh it, it's about like a chinese politician coming to visit a war memorial in japan um and and like there's being controversy about that not and then, not that war memorial no not that war memorial no this is a future war memorial because world war three has happened at some point in the past uh um, oh yeah 
And so this is a war, a memorial related to that war, not the other one where Japan did the bad stuff. They were the good guys <laughs> this time or something. Oh, um, is that it? I, I didn't, I don't remember the, any of the details. Of no, the I don't, I don't think that they, I don't think that that was, that was specified. Uh, I just, I just sort of assume. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and like, it's, it's again, it's like, if you project the modern day context about the relations between Japan and China when it comes to war on this situation, it sort of like fills it out in a way that makes sense. But within the fiction of the, of the show, it, it doesn't make sense. Like there's no details about this stuff or about why people are mad or about anything like that. And then, so like, yeah, this is, this is, this one's actually kind of interesting because it's about this guy who like his dad died in, I think his dad died in the war um and then he like inherited his laptop and then on that laptop was like his brain and then their brains merged and he became and he became obsessed with assassinating uh this guy who's like coming to visit the war memorial um and then he yeah and, and so and then they're they're like trying to figure out like who this is but like again like it sort of undercuts it because, like, they've given the police so much power in terms of surveillance that, like, there's no, there's no bit where they're, like, doing traditional detective work because their detective work is that they're like, oh, this thing is happening. And then the next scene is that some guy walks in and it's like, yeah, we crunched the numbers and this is the motherfucker, you know? <laughs> and then, like, coincidentally, like, they're like, well, we have his picture, but we don't know his name. And then it turns out that he's the son of, like, a war buddy of the chief of Section 9. And he just, like, looks at it and is like, oh, yeah, I know who this guy is. And it's, like, just, like, sucks all of the air out of the room. <laughs> like, yeah. as they, yeah. and when they, when they figure this out, it's like, I thought this was supposed to be like a detective show. Like I thought this was supposed to be like, where's the noir? Where's anything? Yeah, the the the, the noir got uh, it got defunded because the police budget was too bloated. Yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it it it's like this could be like really cool or like following sort of like the deductive chain of reasoning, but instead like the way that we figure out the deductive, the, like the chain of reasoning for why he's doing this is that we just sort of get told it, you know, by like his sister, yeah. like they just like have a conversation about it and they just like say it to us. And it's like, this is an interesting premise, you know, but like I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, like, I, I feel like this, this sort of thing, like, uh, in in one of my favorite video games, Fallout New Vegas, one of my favorite missions is the one. So if you're with the NCR or you're independent or you're with Mr. House, you have to stop the president of uh, the NCR, uh, President Kimball, from being assassinated. Uh, and then if you're with Caesar's Legion, you have to assassinate him. Um, you know, and like I find that sort of thing and that sort of like race back and forth, like to be a sort of fun thriller plot. You know, but it's just like there's no, there's no joy in this. There's no, there's no fun. There's no like battle of wits. There's just like the police who have infinite power and some guy with a knife. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, yeah, the, the thriller part of the is often undercut. Yeah, there's just it's not very thrilling because the police just know everything, and so then all of like all of the conflict is boiled down to a chase 
you know, because they know who their guy is and where he is. They just need to, like, catch him, you know, and it's just not very interesting when every single episode is just them chasing a guy and shooting at each other, you know, or whatever. Like, there's just not very much, like, because the cops have so much power and they have so much knowledge that they're never outsmarted, you know, they never get outwitted, you know, they never have, like, a real enemy, because, like, the laughing man isn't really their real enemy because he's not even really trying to hurt anybody. You know, yeah. like, it's, it's like it just undercuts any tension at every possible point where, like, it stopped, like, from a moment-to-moment basis, the action was engaging or whatever, but, like, there's no stakes at any point because you know they're going to succeed. You know, there's never any, you know, that, and that's part of why I liked some of the last episodes where it gets into it where, like, the government is basically like cracking down on section nine because section nine is like getting close to the truth about this like medical thing. And like it, they start to like lose, you know, they start to go up against. And like, this to me is the heart of cyberpunk fiction is like going up against an enemy so much larger than you, you know, and, and realizing that you are just like a tiny cog in this enormous machine, you know, and like ghost in the shell sort of falls apart in that respect because it's about the enormous machine you know it's from the pers- <laughs> it's from the perspective of the machine yeah yeah um speaking yeah. of speaking of cogs in the machine next episode is the organ harvesting oh yeah oh yeah um there's a fucking whole bit in this so here's the thing uh selling leftover organs that nobody else wants or needs is based and you should do it um, obviously you should ideally just give them away, but like there, oh, there, there's like, there's a number of like stuff in this where like the thing that they're mad about doesn't make any sense or like the criminals are obviously in the right. Um, and they, the, the time that they own, they, the time that they get this, this angle on it is with the laughing man, like him, they're like, they like, they're like able to acknowledge that like, okay, he was right the whole time. But like with these guys, well, these these aren't. I think I think you're thinking of an earlier episode. This I am is one is where. Okay, because yeah, this one they're actually kidnapping women and selling their organs. Um, I have no memory of this. This is one with the with the Russian lady, uh, and blindfold Ivan. Blindfold Ivan. <laughs> I have no fucking memory of any of this. <laughs> so. Uh, so the gist is that like uh yeah there's been this kind of spate of kidnappings um that had initially been all uh pegged to one group who that which they called um blindfold ivan (laughs) who i think are or associated with the russian mafia uh and previously like they hadn't been able to kind of get political support for going after them because this one dude in parliament uh or whatever the national the, diet yeah um yeah kanzaki i think is the name of the the politician who had been kind of paid by the russian mafia to kind of prevent them being identified as a party of interest in these kidnappings or have or these kidnappings being kind of clumped under one uh investigation uh and then whoops it turns out that they kidnap his daughter 
uh, for their little organ harvesting scheme. So Aramaki, the head of Section 9, ends up like basically giving him an ultimatum being like you get like if we're gonna if we are gonna save your daughter um you need to like cut them loose and so he does uh and then like he comes clean about or he like publicly acknowledges this the Russian mafia's involvement in whatever. In turn, the Russian mafia kind of cuts loose uh, their the lady who was do actually doing the kidnappings themselves. The the very old Russian lady in the body of a very young Russian lady, and uh, rip her. I guess <laughs> it's it it's another kind of anticlimactic ending like she runs to the embassy the embassy they, they close the doors on her and then uh the major shows up and it's like yo and she's like fuck <laughs> well, actually, I, actually i think she tries to fight so it's not as anticlimactic as most but she, uh, she doesn't win yeah, I, have no, I have no memory of that episode. <laughs> uh-huh. it's it's a weird one uh and yeah, it's 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 not a complex one. And then we get into one. at the end, we get into sort of the end of of the show, which I guess yeah. you can sort of like summarize entirely. Like the thing about this is that I enjoyed these episodes, but also there's six episodes to cover what feels kind of like two or three episodes of plot. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like it just it takes up a lot of space. Um, you know, so basically, like uh. Uh, Togusa I, I've been calling him Toga I forgot his name is Togusa uh, and he um, yeah like he, he like there's this sort of interesting one of the few interesting like technological or like speculative notions that the show has is that it 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 exists in a world where like paper books still exist and it, it it does sort of astutely point out that like something that's on paper can't be hacked something on paper that's on paper can't be stolen easily you know yeah. so like oh um, yeah this is the one where yeah there's that one old record in paper that that the laughing man needs and so yeah he has, yeah. To, has to do this whole thing where he like hacks a like a nurse or no like a janitor to what who is cleaning in the archives where this book is and like gets her to drop it in her cart and get it out of the building yeah this whole this whole kind of elaborate scheme to hack a paper book yeah um, and, and so that sort of stuff is, is sort of interesting, but mostly it's just like, this is the first bit where section nine is up against an opponent that doesn't feel just like cartoonishly underpowered compared to them, you know, yeah. like, it's, and that's like, it's like, there's, there's finally tension for the first time in the entire show, you know, where, where it feels like section nine is up against somebody that they might lose to. Yeah. Um, there are actually two, there are actually two antagonists in this episode. There's, there's laughing man. And then there's also the fucking like in the d yeah so this is basically the like uh gary oldman's crew from uh 
from Leon the Professional. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, God, yeah. This, should be, this should be so much better if, like, one of the Section 9 guys just, like, drank an exorbitant <laughs> amount of milk for no reason. You, I could totally see Bateau doing that. Oh, yeah, Bateau would definitely drink an exorbitant amount of milk. He would give, he would give his Tachikoma's milk. <laughs> You know that that picture of like of like the the like girl like kneeling on the floor being like fed milk by like a, a woman holding her by like a leash. Oh, the oh, the, what are those? What? Uh, wait, not the. I thought you were talking about that that gay meme. Yeah, uh, the gay meme. Oh, I don't think it's the leash. She's holding her hair, right? Oh, in yeah, one she's hand, holding her hair. She's holding like her, her ponytail milk. in one hand, and she's like pouring milk into her mouth. That's that's Batou and the Tachikomas. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, if you haven't seen Le- Leela Professional, it's a ridiculous movie. Leela Professional uh, fucking rules. Uh, and, and, yeah, so, and so Gary Oldman is, like, the head of, like, an anti-drug, like, squad who are all completely on drugs the entire time. Oh, yeah. And whose primary strategy is murdering people uh and yeah and so the 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 dea in coast in the shell is basically that um they they need to get back this book that was stolen because uh what it contains and why the laughing man stole it in the first place was that it contains everyone who received like received uh, this doses vaccine of that Mirai vaccine that was eventually not cleared for use. And so the reason this book is important is that one of the people who got it is one of the big wigs in the medical, uh, like regulatory board who rejected it. And so, um, if we can expose his hypocrisy, um, and make a Hamilton style musical about it, then, uh, it's over. Yeah, we're going to own him with facts and logic. Uh, but the government has other plans, and so they send um, Gary Oldman and his bloodthirsty goons to shoot up this um, place called the Sunflower Society, where a copy of the of the book was sent. No, the, uh, the and, sun, yeah, the Sunflower Society, yeah. The Sunflower Society is this group of people who are like dedicated to like pushing the Mirai vaccine as like a, a better solution to yeah. the problem of, of yeah. cyberman sclerosis. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I forget how Togus uh, um, finds his way there, but yeah, he's at the Sunflower Society. He's talking to the head there about the Mirai vaccine and this uh, book that they were anonymously sent with a list of the recipients and then the DEA shows up. I think Tobuset and... literally just shows up and is like, hey, I want to help you guys. And they're like, okay, great. What can you do? And he like basically says a few things that like hints at the fact that like he's like a higher ranking government official who might be able to give them some real assistance. And the guy's like, oh, you can really help us. Uh... Uh, and, then, and then the cops show up. Oh, okay. Um, uh... Yeah. And yeah, shoot up everyone. Um, nearly kill Togusa. And then how does he escape? He he I think he just eats himself out of a window. Um No, he like he like yeah, he like he like he runs away and he like almost gets away and then he gets like shot in the street. 
Yeah. Uh. Uh, oh, but then he, but he, but not enough that he can't like continue to stagger away, and he, he gets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like walking uh, down the. He's like walking down the street, like after having been shot, and he collapses on the ground. And there are just like people walking past him, like nothing's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the damn, the damn atomization of society, man. Yeah. No one gives a shit. No one gives one single fuck. One thing that like. What I was thinking about with regards to some of this stuff, like, with regards to, like, the Laughing Man being portrayed as being able to, like, modify the stream of information in real time in order to, like, hide his own face and stuff like that, it's, like, it's strange that this show is concerned about that or, like, depicts that, but is not concerned about, like, the government using that same kind of power. Um, (laughs) You know, like, all of this conspiracy stuff is, like, carried out through very traditional means. Um, You know, like, it's not concerned at all about how, like, governments might be able to use this like massive surveillance and information like control apparatus to build stuff like it contrasts like with other cyberpunk stories written at around the same time like uh deus ex you know uh or metal gear solid 2 especially like metal gear solid 2 like the end of metal gear solid 2 is entirely about it's not metal gear solid 2 is not really cyberpunk but it definitely has like it it, it has a lot of overlap and it's like super concerned with the way that like surveillance and like the internet and like and and the ability for and like the centralization of information into the internet is going to allow the governments to have control over the flow of information you know and like it and and, it, and it's it's like very much concerned about this sort of thing you know and like ghost in the shell just doesn't give a shit like it just doesn't <laughs> see government misuse of this technology as a problem you know yeah. like it doesn't see yeah that like it, it and it's it's so it's such it's so strange that like it has all of, it it like it, it gives the government all of this power and then is just totally uninterested in like that potentially being bad <laughs> right you know, until it like starts to affect our super cop protagonists <laughs> yeah um uh, uh yeah. Oh, let's see is this let's see um oh no th- we ha- we still haven't gotten to the titty doctor yet there's a, there's an episode in between um the fuck gundams episode but yeah like uh i don't know a bunch of other shit happens i don't so know so you've heard of gundams no. um no yeah so yeah the, so the episode after that is um there they're trying to um, rescue. So, so now that the DEA and the rest of the and um, all the other freaks um, who have figured out that it has leaked that this uh, Imakarusu, the, the doctor who both rejected the Mirai vaccine and took the Mirai vaccine. Uh, now that it's getting out that he he uh, took the Mariah vaccine and is a potential liability, they're like, all right, we gotta we gotta fucking kill him, and so so Gary Oldman heads out to go kill him, and so it's basically Section Nine and Gary Oldman trying to uh, get to this doctor first, and uh, Gary Oldman has a mech. God, I wish Gary Oldman were actually in this show. Uh, and yeah, they have a big shootout in like a hotel where the doctor is and, uh, the major goes ape shit. 
So there's a, there's this yeah there's this I can't have wild... no memory of any of this stuff that you're saying. Okay. <laughs> so there's this wild sequence where uh, Gary Oldman in the mech is kicking the shit out of the major. Oh yeah! Uh, and he steps on her head and he's like crushing her into the pavement, and then some of some of the the fellas some of the boys that come back in town so there is a whole so there's a whole crew so it's not just bato togusa and uh the major uh kusanagi motoko there's also boma there's what are the other kids names i don't fucking uh anyway so two of them show up with this giant fucking cannon gun uh and start shoot and shoot the Gundam, and all it does is kind of knock him off kilter, or it knocks him over, but he doesn't like kill him. And then uh, the major gets up, and like <laughs> she's like, "Give me that like ten foot long gun rifle." Oh yeah! And just completely goes. It's like a fifty caliber Com- sniper rifle, and she complete- just like shoots him a million just, times with it. Yeah, she just starts like screaming and shoots him point blank. Uh, no, she's not even screaming. She's like coldly and angrily looking at him, and she like blasts him point blank in the chest over and over and over again with this fifty caliber sniper. Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. She screams like, "Give it to me, the gun!" Yeah, and then she's just like shooting him over and over again, and it's like, it's. Like setting aside like the the purpose of this scene and like whether it has a purpose, like it's like one of the most interestingly like, constructed sequences. Oh, just because yeah. it's it's so dramatic. It's another uh, one of those examples where the show is like really good at constructing like dramatic and poignant moments that don't mean anything at all. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like I like I was watching that and I was like, man, this it would be great if this were like a culmination of some kind of character or theme and not just like a cool bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, I think there's a vague point in like, Motoko has like some inchoate or at least unkind of uh, explicated feelings about prosthetics and cyberization. Yeah, uh, and so I think that's why she says "fuck Gundams." And they never go uh, anywhere. Those but, feelings yeah, never go anywhere. But, but, they're never but, yeah, explained, we, we, and they never. Yeah, they're not we, really coherent or anything right, like that. Right. Exactly. You know, it's just uh, like oh, I, it it very much reeks of somebody being like oh, I think robots and robot bodies and super cops are cool. But if I just make a show about how cool it is, people are gonna think that it's uncomplicated. So I need to like make them have like feelings about it. But he, <coughs> he can't actually think of any reason why somebody would not want to be like a super cop with a hot lady body. <laughs> So he just has to like, <laughs> like, so he, he just like, he can't, he has to like be super vague about it. Like he can't actually think of or sympathize with a reason why anybody wouldn't want to be like a cool robot. So like, he, like it, it just like completely falls apart whenever he tries to, to, to do that. <laughs> there's also like, there's a weird undercurrent in several scenes where the show feels the need to justify why the major is a woman. Like, why she has a woman's body when she could select a man's prosthetic body. And it's like, it, it, it is really like, dude, nobody was asking or wondering that. 
literally only you are worried about that. Like nobody was good. If if you just if you left that unaddressed, nobody would have thought. Oh, I wonder why the major is a girl. Because of course, nobody asks why Bato is a is a big beefy dude. Nobody yeah. asks why any of these why any of the dudes are who they are. It's only the major who has to justify her existence. And it's like, yeah, it's because like being a hot lady with huge boobs rules. It's great. <laughs> Excellent segue to the next episode, uh, which is after she got stepped on by the Gundam. She needs to get a new body because her other one got got uh got some got some hairline fractures uh and so we meet again who we forgot to mention when she first appeared way back at the beginning uh her horny little nurse girlfriend uh i forget what her name is so yeah the the the, the gif i post in the discord is of the fake doctor who is trying to hack the major uh, for some nefarious purpose. The nurse is the little girl who's... Not girl. She's a young woman uh, who is talking to uh, the major beforehand and is like looking at looking at the spec sheet being like wow all these illegal body mods uh imagine what i'm just thinking what they could do to me <laughs> uh because yeah we meet her non-regulation and tits we meet we meet this this little nurse and her other girlfriend like in episode eight or something um and this so so i think we've talked before about how in the manga there's like a lesbian orgy and like in an interview he was like yeah i just didn't, i just didn't want to draw dudes but uh fair enough and can't blame him yeah and, and it was it was toned down somewhat in the anime to uh motoko has two girlfriends who she forgets about toned kind down of often. somewhat uh <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, then after she has her, after she has her little banter with, uh, her girlfriend, that is when, yeah, the titty doctor shows up, um, and is just completely ridiculous and then tries to hack the major, um, and succeeds until the laughing man shows up who i i forget if he hired her or if uh it was just coincidence but then he's like hey major kusanagi uh like what i need to do i can't actually do alone um let's 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 team up because you're obviously a trustworthy and upstanding individual uh, and so he like dumps a bunch of information into her brain and then splits and then like basically uh, undoes the hacking that the titty doctor was doing. Uh, the major wakes up, um, roundhouse kicks the titty doctor through the, through the window and uh, makes her girlfriend spill her coffee all over herself. I have no memory of this. <laughs> I don't know if 
like the only reason I liked the end of the show is because I just sort of tuned out all of the dumb garbage. <laughs> well, good thing I'm here to to summarize it so artfully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like because it's television animation and because stuff like that, like the the original 1995 show is horny in a way that is aesthetic and tasteful. Uh, and this show is horny in a way that's like big, you know how you draw boobies, you draw a circle and there's a little bit in the middle where milk comes out of, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's very like, like it's very Newgrounds meat and foot game kind of, kind of looking. Um, yeah, it, the, 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 yeah. Uh, no. yeah. And then, yeah, then there's the, then there's, um, the weird, weird um, bit. We so uh, we 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 swing back all around to Sereno Genomics, uh, the the company that was introduced way back in the beginning, which we've all forgotten about, um, and is now we're now reminded that this is the company that developed the kind of. Uh, alternative treatment to cyber brain sclerosis uh and so which has become very wealthy um as a result of its treatment getting um it's not very effective treatment getting approved and so um the ceo president but um we, we referred to him before as the president i guess he's the ceo uh it doesn't really matter, uh, is kidnapped by the laughing man. And they have this long philosophical discussion about their respective motivations and fears and dreams and magic cards. Uh, and basically the agreement, oh, they come to an agreement essentially, or the CEO Agrees to finally come clean, I think. Yeah. I, mean, I, for, I, I think... forget what leverage the Laughing Man has over him. Yeah, I, I sort of forget that whole thing. Um, yeah, I... like, I think the Laughing Man is like, I think what it is is that the Laughing Man is like, you, you tell on yourself or I'm telling on you. Yeah, and he's also been under house arrest for like six years, so his life kind of sucks, and so he's probably like sick of this whole. Yeah, I'm situation. sick of being under house arrest. I'm gonna go be under regular arrest. Nah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, he agrees to kind of go public about everything, uh, and then it turns out that, um. The Laughing Man was actually the major in disguise, so that was that was what the that was the deal that they had kind of made when he rescued her from the TD Doctor's clutches. He gave her all the information, and so and so she um, used all that information to impersonate him and basically uh, get the CEO on record agreeing to do this stuff, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, they now have, presumably, I think they, yeah, I think the idea is now they have enough evidence to 
prosecute some of the other government officials involved in the cover-up and blah 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 that the whole everything is everything is coming together but Um, but but doesn't go quite according to plan so the this guy yakushima one of the big fuckers who uh they're trying to take down uh section nine and the laughing man both he's he he catches wind of their nefarious plot or farious depending on where you're standing and uh decides that maybe he can strike first uh, and so he tries to get section nine shut down uh for being an extrajudicial death squad and um basically yeah before section nine can uh kind of make their move he makes his move declares them like yeah he's illegal. basically like oh they, this these cops are staging a coup so we're gonna fuck them up yeah um and he like you, you know yeah and then he like arrests togusa and some other folks and then there's like a weirdly horny scene between the major and Batol, and then the major yeah, that was unrealistic. Like, is assassinated while stepping onto a plane right so they yeah for, so yeah so they they're basically all arrested except for the major and Bato. Yeah, who have this weird, vaguely, almost romantic uh, scene, and then just and are about to flee the country uh, until the major gets her fucking head shot off by a sniper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then in the next episode, Tolgusa is just sort of like a, a sad, lonely dad. Oh wait, let's see. I think we skipped something. Probably. Uh, well, that was. Yeah, I mean, I think that. I think that was just two episodes in one that we. Um. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, Togusa is like he's like moping around because he's been like released from prison and like he thinks that Section Nine's been dismantled and like several months pass and he like goes to like assassinate somebody because he's like fuck it man my life is my life is over <laughs> oh yeah he goes he goes to assassinate uh yakushima i think yes um, um, and then and, yeah and then batol like comes up from behind him and is like you're you, it's not gonna work man uh and then they find out that the entire like thing where all the members of section nine got arrested or killed or whatever was just sort of a ruse and that section nine is like officially everybody from section nine is like officially dead um or arrested and like section 9 has been officially dissolved but it still exists and it's just like a sort of another another level of indirection yeah yeah i think i got the i think i got the order wrong um like she gets shot and then uh like bateau goes like one of her safe houses and finds like uh one of her like alternate bodies yeah uh and so and so she 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 had a backup, so she's not actually dead after all. The wiki says that the body that she got shot on wasn't wearing her watch. They have this whole thing that's like established where like she's always wearing this like this watch for some reason, uh, um, and so she was piloting that body remotely. Uh, 
But yeah, sense. like it's it's one of those things where it's like it can't because they need to have a second season of this. It can't be uh, it can't be tragic or it can't be final in any way. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the, like, way, the way that the movie was. Yeah, and and like the show can't uh, it can't admit that uh, maybe cops are bad. Um, yeah. You know, like Section Nine has to be the heroes of of the whole thing. Like it can't gra- it can't really meaningfully grapple with uh, the fact that Section Nine sucks. Uh, anyway, uh, Nine Delights. Uh, Nine Delights. Let's see, let's see. Uh, uh, Walking Around. Uh, there's very, there's, it's probably more driving around than walking around. Yeah, there's a lot of driving. And the touch comas roll around a lot. So, three out of five? Yeah. It's not really it's not really like not that important. part of the show like it is of say Bebop. Um, so yeah, not gonna uh, be fellowship. There's their pals. Oh yeah, they're pals. They're bros. They're bros. Um, I don't Tachiko. like that they're bros because I hate all of them. <laughs> I hate everybody in the show. Um because they're all fucking f- murderous freaks who never have to grapple with the consequences of their actions. Uh, but they are bros. Yeah. So, I don't know, four out of five? Yeah. Deliciousness. I don't think there's any food in this show. Very little. There's that bit in the episode with the boxer where they drink the fermented honey beverage. Oh, yeah. But... And I think that's literally it. Um... But yeah, definitely there's like I don't know, like a one out of five. Not all of me not all of me even need to, eat, need to eat, so yeah. Yeah. One out of five is fine. Uh Transcendence. This show is so much less transcendent than the movie. Yeah. You know, like it, it just it's so much less interesting and it's so much less like it's so much less philosophically interesting or abstract and it's so much more just like boring. It does not transcend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, goofing. This, this show just isn't very funny. The Tachikomas are goofs. Yeah. Um, the Tachikomas are funny. Uh, so I'll give it t- maybe a two. Yeah. Uh, uh, amelioration. Mm, not really any of that either. Yeah, I mean. Like the way the laughing man stuff kind of resolves is is is, is like it's le- it's like there is a sense of amelioration in so far that it's not like finding the bad guy and shooting him. Uh, well, it it may not, unless only in so far as laughing man is not the bad guy. Um, but yeah, all the same. Yeah, it's like uh, a two or a three to me, honestly. Yeah, either either works for me. Uh, coitus, so much uh, less than the original. I mean, there's no coitus in the original, but it's not. Yeah, there's it's not yeah. Horny there's the original, and there's, there's the major no, and her girlfriends, and there's that's no about lesbian it. orgy. Um, well, well, it's implied. <laughs> uh, enthrallment. I don't know. There's just nothing particularly enthralling about this show. There's really no stakes. There's nothing interesting. The characters aren't very interesting. There's just nothing. 
there's nothing to really keep you going except like the sort of moment to moment like it's decent at constructing action from moment to moment that's not interminably boring interminably boring yeah two or three yeah two uh what's your wild card ah shit um gender swap Karl Marx's uh give it a four out of five because she's there but she doesn't uh she gets arrested uh and what is mine going to be let's go with uh let's go with postmodernism. Oh. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a three out of five because they 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 frequently reference capitalism and schizophrenia and Frederick Jameson and they do nothing with that information. But it is there. <laughs> uh, Alex, do you have a book to recommend? Uh, let's see. Can I recommend a series? Sure. Okay. You recommended uh, one of those historical fiction series that you liked a long time ago. Uh, I, I recommended the Elena Ferrante, uh, which what well, it starts in the fifties. I don't know, if, does that count? And it goes up through like the near up to the like the nineties or two thousands. Anyway, yeah, I did avoid talking about For Bridelson, which is the Danish that Danish series. Which, uh, yeah, you mentioned that because Ghost in the Shell needed a second gig, they couldn't end by being like, "Are we the baddies?" Uh, yeah, which is what, like, for Riddleson, like, it ends when it finally realizes are we the baddies uh, at the end of season three. Uh, but I wasn't going to talk about that. I was going to talk about an actual Swedish thing, which is the Martin Beck series uh, of novels. And it's, I think it's the, it's the original, like, the first, uh, like, Swedish or or Nordic noir um, that kind of kicked off that whole genre. And it's interesting because it takes place kind of uh, over between like the early 60s to the early 70s, I think. And it it starts as a relatively kind of straightforward procedural, except with a bit more attention paid to like race and misogyny in how crime functions. But as it goes on, it gets more and more overtly political uh, because that corresponds with how Sweden nationalized its police force in the mid-60s and rapidly became a more militarized and like na- much nastier like political and um, malignant social force. And so as, yeah, as the show, as the, as the series goes on, like both the authors who were like Marxists and the characters themselves become increasingly resentful and bitter towards like the police and like Swedish society generally. Uh, And it's very interesting kind of seeing how the way they describe like the the Swedish police force in like the late 60s or 70s like me, like is basically how like leftists describe American police force now and that like it the, the very same tendencies have been have been like here for 50 years it's just becoming 
worse and worse and worse as we go. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an example, one of the few examples of like fiction told from the perspective of the police that like seriously interrogates policing as such. So it's um, yeah, it's the Martin Buck series book by uh, I'm not I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but I think it's Mashawal and Perwalu. What about you, Cass? Uh, so I feel, uh, on the one hand, so like the, the books that I would like to recommend are ones that I've already recommended. I will reiterate um, that you should read Hard-Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World by Haruki Murakami and Pattern Recognition by William Gibson, which are both vastly superior cyberpunk stories to this one um, that get a lot of stuff right, mostly because they're from the perspective of people caught in the cogs of an enormous machine rather than from the perspective of the ones wearing the boots. Um, yeah, they're both uh, really, really phenomenal books. You should read them. I've recommended them before, though. Uh, but I haven't read anything recently because I've been moving and I've been very busy. Uh, so what I will say, what I will recommend, is I'm going to recommend The Catcher in the Rye. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If you you if you're listening to this and you're from America, you probably had to read The Catcher in the Rye in high school. And in my experience, The Catcher in the Rye has an extremely low hit rate in terms of people actually liking it. Um, but it's a good book, uh, and I would definitely encourage returning to it if you found it boring, or if you found Holden unrelatable or or annoying as uh, as a teenager. Um, you know, uh, it's a really, it's a really good book, um, about, yeah, like it, 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 it captures something about like adolescence and about like the feeling of, uh, of, of wanting to hold on to, to like wanting to hold on to innocence, but also not wanting to hold on to that innocence. And like, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a book that's about a lot of things. It contains a lot of like, you know, it's a classic for a reason, which is that like you can read it in so many different ways. It's also not very short, and it's uh, it, it, it not very short. It's not very long. Uh, I was gonna say <laughs> it's, it's pretty short, and it's uh, yeah, it's it is an entertaining read. Uh, it contains you know, uh, uh it, it, it's it's one of those books in it which has a structure that I really like, which is just like Holden Caulfield just kind of like bumming around new york and just like a bunch of like a, a series of sort of strange vignettes that illustrate how sort of weird he his brain is and, and like his, <laughs> his like sort of messed up situation but yeah uh i would definitely recommend the catcher in the rye by jd salinger uh, yeah all right so next month we are going to be watching uh puella magi madoka magica uh which is directed by ayuki shimbo and yukihiro miyamoto uh and produced by shaft uh, we're not just going to be watching the show. We're going to be watching the uh, the movie Rebellion. The first two movies, from what I understand, are not uh, essential uh, viewing. I think they're just they're just recap movies. But the third movie, I have heard very good things about. Um, so yeah, I'm really I'm really interested to watch the show. Uh, I've heard extremely polarized things about it. Uh, I've heard a number of people obviously like it's it's got a lot of critical acclaim. Um, but I've also definitely, I definitely know people who really, really hate it. So, and that's, that's, <laughs> always, that's always what I'm interested in watching for the show is like anything that people have very polarized feelings about, 
is because uh, then we'll either probably love it or hate it, and both of those <laughs> options are interesting pod. It's true. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna be watching uh, Puella Magi Madoka Magica, uh, otherwise known as just Madoka Magica, uh, or Mahosozo Madoka Magica. Uh, you want to be fancy. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next month. Apologies for missing the previous month. Uh, I was moving. Um, and apologies for being a little late. I had a a bit of a medical emergency. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back next month with Madoka Magica. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. And remember, there is nothing less important than anime. That's right. i